Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. I hope that you all had a lovely weekend. Last week, I was at CPAC until Friday and I got to meet a lot of you guys there. So thank you to those of you who came to my talks and introduced yourselves to me afterwards, even got pictures. It's always really fun to talk to you guys, to talk to you about what specifically you're interested in in the conservative movement. We'll talk a little bit about CPAC, specifically something that President Trump said and did at CPAC. But we're not going to really get into the conference too much today. I really enjoyed the parts that I got to play in CPAC and the conversations that I was a part of. Uh, There was some controversy, as there always is, surrounding the conference. Some criticism of the conference, I think, was extremely legitimate. Some probably not so much. It just depends on where it came from. But like I said, I was very excited and honored to talk about religious liberty and the importance of faith to the national identity as well as uh, the future of the American family. So that was really that was really fun for me. And like I said, it was uh, extremely rewarding to meet some of you guys that were there. Also, uh, another announcement that I made last week, I am going to New York City this week. My husband and I are, and I'm going to be on the Fox show Outnumbered at 11 a.m. Central Time and 12 p.m. Eastern Time, I believe. So I'm excited about that. I'll be on TV for a full hour Um, co-hosting the show. There's four girls and one guy, four girls, I should probably say women, four women and one guy, and we'll be discussing the news of the day. So if you want to watch me for a whole hour on television, make sure that you tune in on Thursday to Fox 12 p.m. Eastern time. And then also just to reiterate the announcement that I made at the end of the episode on, on Thursday of last week, this podcast is going to three times a week starting next week. I still haven't decided which days it's going to come out. I know that's like extremely last minute, but haven't decided if it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I really need to decide that. I know. So if you guys have any feedback, please let me know. And uh, any topics that you would like covered next week, of course, you can email me or message me on Instagram. So today, what we are going to talk about is hypocrisy that's happening on the right, coming specifically from the president of the United States. And then some of the hypocrisy that's coming from Democrats, particularly Democrats that are in Congress. Thursday is when we're going to talk about the Methodist Church and the decision that just came out of the governing body of the Methodist Church. A lot of you guys have asked me me to cover that. We covered it a little bit last week, but I'm going to go more in depth on Thursday. And then a lot of you guys sent me Jen Hatmaker's recent Instagram post that was referencing the Methodist Church decision. And so we will get into all of that as well. But today we're going to talk about hypocrisy, like I said, right and the left. And I will also touch on Michael Cohen because a few of you asked me to talk about that. And then I might touch extremely lightly, extremely lightly on vaccines because that has been an issue of contention uh, in a lot of circles, but particularly among my followers messaging me and asking me what I think about vaccines. Both sides are extremely passionate and it's a sensitive subject that I am going to try to be sensitive to. And I do not intend, whenever I do talk about it in full, after I've researched uh, enough sufficiently, both sides, I don't plan to patronize or to condemn or to talk down to any side, but I will be giving my opinion based on factual analysis. So I might just touch on one piece of that today before we get into it in full. So first, I want to talk about some hypocrisy coming from the right. Now, I get accused of being um, anti-Trump of being uh, associated with anti-Trumpers, of hating Donald Trump, of of not acknowledging his success, which I think is completely absurd. But then you also have people that think that I am just 
going to worship at the altar of Trump, that I am an extreme pro-Trumper, that I am going to give him credit for all the things he does, even the things that are blameworthy. Neither of these things are true. I did vote for Donald Trump. I thought that he was better than the alternative. I respect the position of people who say, you know, they couldn't morally bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump because he didn't align with their values, doesn't align with conservatism. I understand that. And uh, I, I, I get that argument. That's all I'll say. Uh, from my position in 2016, I thought, OK, I've, I've really got two options. This is a binary decision here. And do I want someone who I think is going to um, advocate for legislation that is pro-choice, pro-abortion, or someone whose administration is probably going to fight more on the side of life and also for the rights and the values that I believe in? I did a whole episode talking about how uh, Donald Trump as a person doesn't represent the Christian values that I represent, but uh, neither did Barack Obama in a lot of ways. Neither uh, did a lot of presidents. And so uh, that's kind of where I land. But if you want to hear a more comprehensive view of how I kind of came to the conclusion of voting for Donald Trump and the issues that I'm still working out in my mind and uh, from a biblical perspective about Donald Trump and, and voting for him and his policies, you can go back. It's probably like the second episode that I ever did of Relatable. So I just want to set this up before I talk about the hypocrisy that I think President Trump has shown just a little bit over the past couple of weeks. I want to set up that I am neither anti-Trump or super pro-Trump. I criticize him when I think whatever he does solicits criticism. And I give him credit when I think that he deserves credit. I am not the biggest Donald Trump fan in the world. Like, I'll just let you know that. I'm not the biggest Donald Trump fan, but I have no problem whatsoever supporting him when he does something that is good for the country. Absolutely, 100%, because I want this country to succeed. That would be true if we had a Democrat in office, too. I want this country to succeed. And I also think and quite enjoy that uh, Donald Trump has pushed the push to the left completely off their rocker and has really exposed just how crazy they are. Okay, so I just want to preface what I'm about to say with all of that so you know exactly where I'm coming from, especially if you're new to the podcast. And so my contention with Donald Trump, the specific contention that I have over the past couple of weeks has to do with his talks with Kim Jong-un and his talks to denuclearize completely North Korea. So he went to Vietnam to have this summit or have this conversation with Kim Jong-un And long story short, it didn't actually work. They didn't come to terms um, that they both agreed on. And I think it's good that President Trump didn't give in. Kim Jong-un says, I would like all sanctions to be removed uh, from North Korea. And then we'll talk denuclearization. President Trump rightly said, no, we're not going to remove all sanctions. Sorry, that's just not the deal that we're going to come to. And so it fell through. We shouldn't try to sugarcoat that. It didn't work. Uh, He didn't strike a deal that was favorable for the United States. And so it fell through. If this happened under Obama, conservatives would have no problem saying that this is Obama's fault. But it kind of seems like we're patting Trump on the back or applauding Trump for just making the effort, even though the effort failed. Now, I think he ultimately made the right decision, but we can also be fair in our criticism of this not going as planned. Um, So President Trump was facing the press in Vietnam. He was asked by a member of the media about Otto Warmbier. And one of the reasons why uh, this member of the media asked about Otto Warmbier, who I'll remind you who he is, by the way, if you've forgotten, um, is because Trump has spoken really kindly of Kim Jong-un, besides calling him Rocket Man one time. And that was uh, a favorite nickname of, of mine that he has used on his adversaries. But 
Since then, he's been pretty kind to Kim Jong-un publicly. He says that they have a great relationship. He has called them his friend. He's really praised his leadership, said that he's a great leader. He's been extremely complimentary and, and kind to him. So in Vietnam, after the summit, a member of the media asked about Otto Warren Beer, and this was Trump's response. Some really bad things happen to Otto, some really, really bad things. But Kim tells me that he didn't know about it, and I will take him at his word. Uh, he goes on to defend him for a few minutes, insisting that Kim Jong-un didn't know uh, about this um, and that, you know, there's a lot of people in this country. A lot of things go on. Maybe the dictator who has such a, a tight grip on this nation didn't know about it. Now, I want to remind you about Otto Warmbier and who he was, just in case you've forgotten. So he was the 21-year-old college student. Uh, who allegedly, according to the North Korean government, stole a propaganda poster and was arrested in 2016. He returned in June of 2017. I remember this extremely clearly. There is an expose, an excellent article in GQ. I'm not a huge fan of GQ, but this article was so graphic and so good about what exactly happened to Otto Warmbier. And I'll read a little bit of, of what it says about uh, when Otto Warmbier actually came home after he was released from prison and after Trump was able to get him back to the country. So this is what GQ said. Halfway up the airplane stairs over the whine of the still cycling engines, Fred, that is Otto Warmbier's dad, later said he heard a guttural inhuman howling and wondered what it was. So this is describing his parents seeing Otto for the first time. Otto was still on the airplane, um, touched down in American soil. So his family came to greet him after he had been in jail in North Korea for, um, I think, over a year at this point. So Fred is his dad. Uh, Fred later said he heard a guttural inhuman howling and wondered what it was. But when he stepped into the cabin cluttered with medical equipment, he found its source. Otto strapped to a stretcher, jerking violently against his restraints and wailing. Cindy, this is Otto's mom was prepared for her son to be changed, but she had not expected this. Otto's arms and legs were totally deformed, according to his parents. His wavy brown locks had been buzzed off. A feeding tube infiltrated his nostrils. It looked like someone had taken a pair of pliers and rearranged his bottom teeth, as Fred would say. According to Cindy, Otto's sister fled the plane, screaming, and Cindy ran after her. Fred approached his son and hugged him. I could cry reading this. Otto's eyes remained wide open and blank. Frank told Otto that he had missed him and he was overjoyed to have him home. But Otto's alien keening only continued impossible to comfort. Uh, Otto died a few days later after this, after his parents requested that they take his feeding tube out. Uh, so he died at 22 years old uh, because he was tortured and basically murdered by uh, the North Korean government for allegedly stealing a propaganda poster. Now, why was he in North Korea as a college student? He attended the University of Virginia. Uh, we're not entirely sure why he actually made this decision. I think he actually went with a program uh, from the university. Of course, it's not recommended that you go to North Korea. Does this justify in any way what happened to him? Of course not. This was a travesty. This is something uh, that made people on both sides of the aisle completely enraged. I mean, you killed, you tortured and killed a young American, probably for nothing, probably for nothing. And even if he did uh, commit that small of a crime, it's a heinous act that should be condemned by absolutely everyone. But President Trump, the other day when he was in Vietnam, after he had met with Kim Jong-un, says that he takes Kim Jong-un at his word. 
that Kim Jong-un knew nothing about the torturing, nothing about uh, the murder of an American citizen, goes on to defend him. This is the guy that uh, long after this whole auto, auto warm beer thing happened, uh, President Trump said that he is a good leader, that people respect him. Now, a lot of people say that Trump is just buttering up Kim Jong-un so he can make a good deal for denuclearization. But to go so far as to say that you take Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, at his word, there is absolutely no reason for that. There's absolutely no reason for the praying of such an evil dictator. So let us talk about Kim Jong-un for a second. Uh, This is a guy who has had his relatives killed. Uh, North Korea is one of the worst human rights violators in the world. They have concentration camps. They're starving their own people. Uh, Reports say this is particularly egregious. Reports say, reports are slim, by the way, uh, because they're so private. But reports say in 2014, Kim directed North Koreans to add human and livestock excrement to fertilizers to improve crop turnout, human excrement. But as livestock was scarce in North Korea, the burden fell on people to use their own feces. They found this out because in 2017, a 25-year-old North Korean defector uh, fled to South Korea under gunfire from North Korean military. Uh, He was taken into a a South Korean Korean hospital to be treated where they found a 10.6-inch parasite in his stomach, in addition to lots of other parasites that were in his stomach, due to human feces being used to grow crops in North Korea. Oh, and by the way, the North Korean government would tout the vegetables that were grown from human feces fertilizer as the most delicious vegetables in the world. Um, Experts in South Korea say that this is a widespread phenomenon in North Korea, though it's really hard to get uh, hard numbers on the health records just because, like I said, they are so private and closed off. Uh, There is no freedom of religion in North Korea, no freedom of speech, no freedom of the press, no freedom of commerce, no private property, no privacy. Everything, including churches, are run by the state. There is uh, no such thing as individual liberty or the acknowledgement of human dignity in North Korea. Defectors, there have been a few who have survived, who have been able to speak out, uh, just speak of the manipulation and the brainwashing that goes on that North Koreans, most of them, really have no idea what is outside they have no idea that there is this thing called freedom there is no they have no concept of privacy no concept of private property and yet the fact that there are defectors the fact that there are those who who run away for something different for something more the fact that they even have a concept of misery and injustice shows that there is something innate in the human heart that was given to us by god uh for liberty for uh for some kind of relief from tyranny, uh, from a, a, a relief from the misery that is caused by a dictatorship. It's, it's really amazing. Um, and the fact that President Trump would take someone like this at his word or say that he takes Kim Jong-un at his word is completely unnecessary to the talks of denuclearization and completely immoral. Now, you had Otto Warmbier's family speaking out. You had Nikki Haley speaking out. You had John Bolton, who works for the president, unable to say that he actually agrees with the president's wording. You had a lot of people within the administration say that probably wasn't the right thing to say. A lot of supporters of Trump saying that probably wasn't the right thing to say, but not enough. You still have a lot of people uh, defending President Trump for saying something that disgusting and that egregious about a dictator who killed one of our citizens, who who daily violates the rights 
of its own citizens, of his own citizens. Um, I, I don't really understand this constant need to defend President Trump's patriotism and love for America when he demonstrates or says something that uh, clearly is not indicative of a love for America. And I'm not saying that he doesn't love America. I'm not saying that he isn't patriotic in general. But this particular statement, um, this kind of subliminal fidelity to an autocrat, especially one that has harmed uh, a U.S. citizen, doesn't make any sense to me. If this were President Obama, conservatives would be having a meltdown. We would be having a meltdown. We would be saying, see, this is exactly what we thought. This guy hates America. This guy is on an apology tour. This guy is trying to acquiesce to uh, leaders of other countries. But because it's Donald Trump, we have to say, oh, no, no, this is all part of the game. This is all part of patriotism. I don't feel any allegiance to Trump whatsoever just because I voted for him and because I vote Republican. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it, it violates my principles. It violates my values that I think supersede anyone who is in office. And President Trump did back up on Twitter and say, you know, of course, I blame North Korea for this. But he sh I mean, President Trump doesn't apologize. But I think that he should apologize to Otto Warmbier's family. And if I were the Warmbiers, I would feel uh, a huge slap in the face. It's not hard to condemn Kim Jong-un. It's not. It's like, we have all the power in the world, and he doesn't. We don't need to cuddle up to him. We don't need to coddle him. We don't need to stroke his ego. America doesn't need to do that. And quite frankly, I think it's immoral, too. So that's the hypocrisy that I've seen on the right from Donald Trump. It really really bothers me. Like I said, I, I love when he does good things. And I think he did do a good thing at CPAC. He said that he was going to ex uh, he was going to sign an executive order that said, hey, if you're a college who receives federal funds, uh, you have to respect the First Amendment. You have to uphold the First Amendment for your students. And um, if you don't, then you might uh, you are at risk of losing your federal funding. OK, I think that's probably a good thing. We need to see the executive order before we make any judgments on it. But I think that's probably good. So you have an instance of President Trump doing something that I think conservatives should condemn. And then you have President Trump doing something that I think a lot of conservatives should probably applaud. But let us remember as well with the free speech thing that it was not too long ago. I think it was 2018 Trump invited all of these millennials and college students to the White House. I did not get the invitation, by the way, but he invited all of these people to the White House. And he actually said he actually said on stage in front of all these college students and millennials, oh, I don't think free speech on college campuses is that big of a deal. And he was rebuffed for that. He got a lot of pushback. But that's what he genuinely thinks. He knew that at a CPAC conference with, with a lot of college students, with a lot of young people, he has learned, thankfully, since then that free speech is a big deal to us. And so he has made it a big deal, which is great. That's that. You know what? That's why I voted for President Trump, not because I believe that he has the same convictions as me, but because I believe his administration is going to uh, push forward things that are in the interest of the country and in the interest of conservatives. So that's President Trump. Let's move on to something fun which is hypocrisy from people on the left. And we're going to look to two people in particular, two of our favorite people in Congress, two of our fre freshmen, freshman Congress members, AOC and Ilhan Omar. So first, let's look at AOC. If you remember, AOC was the co-author, is the co-author of the Green New Deal. She fancies herself an environmentalist. She said that the world is going to end in 12 years, that we're all going to die, that this is millennials World War II. It's that big of a deal. 
uh, that maybe we need to stop eating so many hamburgers. Now, she did say that tongue in cheek, but she's saying she's claiming that she never made that statement. She did make that statement. Uh, She said that we're going to provide economic security for everyone who's unwilling to work. We're going to rebuild all the buildings in the United States to make sure that they're uh, they're friendly to the environment. Uh, All Democratic candidates latched onto this deal, by the way. Well, the New York Post ran a story about how much her campaign has been flying or did fly during the campaign and how much they use cars rather than using public transportation rather than walking. Uh, This is the same woman who says that she wants to eliminate air travel in favor of high speed rail. Well, she doesn't seem to be living by her dreams and living by her wants. So she responds to this New York Post story saying, look, I live in the world. I use air conditioning and I fly. Big whoop. You've got all these people defending her saying, oh, conservatives are just going after her. They want her to inconvenience herself. Well, yeah, because she wants everyone else to be inconvenienced. She wants to make it so that the government mandates how we live, how we travel, how we eat and how we function uh, as a society. But she doesn't want to live by her own rules voluntarily. She doesn't want to do that right now. Well, the founder of Greenpeace, the co-founder, which is an extreme environmentalist group, uh, his name is Patrick Moore, tweeted at her. The world as it is, because her original tweet says, I'm just living in the world as it is. He says the world as it is has the option of taking the subway rather than the taxi, option of Amtrak rather than the plane, option of opening windows rather than AC. You're just a garden variety hypocrite like all the others, and you have zero expertise at any of the things that you pretend to know. So this is from an actual environmentalist calling her out for her hypocrisy, which is absolutely true. Now, this guy has also criticized her for comparing climate change to World War II. Uh, He said, okay, 60 million people died in World War II. There's not really a comparison. Also criticized her for stating that she was in charge uh, after people were criticizing her Green New Deal. So I think it just goes to show yet again, AOC has nothing. she She has no idea what she's actually talking about, and she doesn't plan to ever actually walk the walk. She is your typical millennial who has skimmed through Huffington Post articles and who has been given a little bit of information from her staffers and what are whatever actual adults are behind her and pushing her to advocate for the policies she's advocating for. And she goes out and spouts um, the she the spouts the most superficial statistics that she can in order to push this hardcore le- legislation. And when she's called out for it, she says that. People are bullying her because she's young and because she's a woman. No, it's actually just because what you're saying is inaccurate. You don't know what you're doing. Let's move on to our other favorite freshman congressperson, Ilhan Omar. She's a Democratic rep from Minnesota. She is a Muslim from uh, Somalia, and she was part of the reason uh, why Congress changed the rules to where you can wear religious head coverings. Uh, in the congressional chamber, which I think is a great thing. I think that you should be able to do that. So uh, that's good. Now, she has accused Israel of hypnotizing the world in the past. She has accused all Israel supporters of being controlled by money and now is accusing those who support Israel of dual loyalty. So she is an anti-Semite. She has had many instances before and during um, her reign as a congressperson of of being an anti-Semite. All of these that I just listed, Israel hypnotizing the world, Israel supporters being controlled by money, uh, support of Israel, meaning dual loyalty. All of these are anti-Semitic tropes that, oh, the miserly Jews are controlling all the world. Uh, She's been called out by Democratic lawmakers as well as Republicans. Uh, They have condemned her for her bigotry. They have asked for her to apologize. 
which I think is good. I'm glad that both sides are kind of uniting around uh, how bad anti-Semitism and just racism is in general, at least some members of the right and the left anyway. But let us remember the different treatment of Steve King. I mean, Steve King was absolutely uh, raked over the coals. He's the congressperson from Iowa raked over the coals uh, because of what he said about, oh, why is white nationalism that big of a deal? Which was a bad thing to say. Like he should have been criticized for that. But he was stripped of all of his uh, committee responsibilities, his committee roles, which maybe that was a good thing. Uh, for what he said in an article uh, for the New York Times. But that hasn't happened to Ilhan Omar for saying just as bad things about Jews. She is on the Committee on the Budget. She is on the Committee on Education and Labor. She is on the Committee on Foreign Affairs. And we're seeing all kinds of excuses from a lot of people from the left. Like I said, some Democrats and people on the left are calling her out. But we're seeing all kinds of excuses from her supporters that we're just criticizing her because she is a Muslim woman of color, that that's that's what it's all about. And it's not anti-Semitic to criticize Israel. And you're right. It is not anti-Semitic to criticize Israel. But one, all of her criticisms have been based on uh, Jewish stereotypes that aren't true. And there is no reason to criticize Israel. There's there's no major reason to criticize Israel outside of anti-Semitism because they are our ally. They are the only democracy in the Middle East the only place in the Middle East where religious minorities are actually respected, uh, where their dignity and rights are acknowledged. And there also is a little bit, you know, she says this. She says, I'm accused of being anti-American because I am criticizing Israel and that's not fair. That's dual loyalty. But there is a little bit of anti-Americanism that typically comes along with being as anti-Israel as she is. And it's this... um it's this anti-democracy strain of the far left that is coming out in the people who are anti-Israel. It's also this kind of weird intersectionality mentality that uh, the more successful a group is, the less credibility they have or the more they need to be criticized. And that certainly comes out not just in relation to Israel, but also in relation to Jewish people. That's why anti-Semitism is sometimes... Um, allowed and even condoned, particularly on the left, because Jews aren't seen as as oppressed as other minority groups. And so the justification for anti-Semitism is a lot stronger among the left than it is for racism against other minorities, which is why, again, intersectionality is so stupid and doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, from a Christian perspective on this whole Israel and, and Palestine controversy, of course, Palestinians are, are are the same worth in the eyes of God in that they are all made in the image of God in that we should not rejoice in their pain. We should not seek their pain. We shouldn't want uh, the people the, the people to be destroyed or to be hurt. Uh, we can have compassion for the Palestinian people, but we need to recognize, of course, that Israel has a right to exist, that they have been a good ally to America, that they are the only democracy in the Middle East, and that they have acted consistently in defense against foreign adversaries, including against Palestinian terrorist groups. Um, I did a whole episode on this called Antisemitism and Cycles of Hate uh, a few months back. And so if you want my full take on America's view and America's history of Israel and the Christian perspective on Israel, you can listen to that in full. And so the hypocrisy we're seeing uh, in particular with Ilhan Omar, is that you have a lot of qualifications, it seems like, on the left for what actually counts as anti-Semitism. Like, oh, well, you know, saying that people who are controlled, who who support Israel are controlled by money, isn't really anti-Semitic. 
It's just a fact. But these are the same people. You can't say anything about any other minority without being labeled an Islamophobe or an anti-black racist. But there seems to be a lot, uh, a lot more lax, a lax rules uh, for anti-Semitism than there is for any other type of racism. And again, it's because of that crazy intersectionality world where you're given a certain number of points for how um, allegedly oppressed you have been, which, like I said, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay, so that's hypocrisy on the left, which, of course, we see on a pretty daily basis. And I'll keep you up to date on all of that. Um, I do want to touch on slightly the Michael Cohen hearing. So he testified last week publicly before Congress. This was uh, Donald Trump's fixer, his attorney that worked with him for 10 years, that was a big fan of Donald Trump, a big advocate for Donald Trump. Donald Trump apparently trusted him very much. Um, In his testimony, he accused Trump of being a racist and a con man, all of the things that Democrats wanted to hear, accused him of uh, campaign finance violation, saying that he ordered Cohen to pay off Stormy Daniels, you know, the porn star that President Trump allegedly cheated with. And then President Trump paid Cohen back. Uh, he said that Trump encouraged him to lie to Congress about Trump's business dealings with Russia and Trump Moscow. Um, that Trump apparently he, you know, he lied to the American people about his business dealings with Russia But none of these things are it's not clear whether any of these things are actually impeachable Uh, campaign finance violations that certainly happened in Obama's campaign. And he was given a fine for that. Uh, It didn't proceed impeachment. Now, there are other talks about whether or not Trump committed fraud. And so we'll see about all of that. Now, a lot of there are various House committees trying to file articles of impeachment through various investigations into Donald Trump. And so they're looking into him uh, for obstruction of justice, for abuse of power. This is separate from uh, the Mueller probe, by the way. They're trying to get into his tax returns to see what he's been up to and if there is any justification at all for filing for impeachment. Now, we just we just don't know right now. We just don't know. And the Mueller po- probe is apparently supposed to be coming out any day now or in the next coming weeks. The theory is mostly on the right that the reason why Democrats are doing this is because they know there's not going to be anything in the way of Russian collusion when the uh, Mueller probe actually comes out, when the report comes out. And so they're trying to find all of these other ways to um, to impeach Donald Trump. So a lot of people are saying that now, since I have just a tiny bit of time, I do want to touch on vaccines for just a second. So. There are a lot of people in my Instagram DMs that are anti-vaccine who accuse me, who say that I am extremely pro-vaccine, which I think I've only said one thing about vaccines publicly that someone accused me on the left, accused me of being anti-vaccine, which I've also never said. And so in my defense, I said, uh, no, I'm for vaccinating your children. Well, apparently that was a very scandalous thing to say. That was a few months ago. I'm still getting messages about that. And of course, I'm pregnant. And so you've got a lot of people messaging me, making sure that I know about vaccines. Now, listen, I'm not going to get into all of it right now, because here's what I want you to know. I I want you to know that I am for I am for the freedom to choose whether or not you're going to vaccinate your children. I do not believe that the government should mandate that. Okay, so that's where we can all get along. The pro-vaxxers, the anti-vaxxers, we can get along in uniting behind uh, 
behind the idea that the government should not mandate what kind of medicine we give to our children, whether or not we vaccinate them. Now, there's also the whole controversy with aborted fetal parts. Are those still being used? Some sides say yes. Some sides say no. Uh, but I don't think that this is here's 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 what I want both sides to understand is that there's a lot of research on both sides. OK, there's a lot of research that says we all need to be vaccinating our kids. And in fact, it's a pretty privileged position for any American to take that we take for granted so much the health that we've had for the past centuries because of vaccines that we are able to say, oh, measles, not big, that big of a deal. Um, a lot of people say that's an extremely privileged uh, position and that we should be taking it seriously and that measles and mumps and all of the things that could come back, polio are not anything to mess around with. And then you have people on the other side saying, you know, our immune systems uh, were probably built to fight these things. I personally don't think that's that great of an argument. But you have people saying there are a lot of consequences that could happen with vaccines and uh, they they don't always work. And, if, and in fact, the side effects that you can have are so detrimental to your body that it's really not worth the uh, immunity that it might give you to something like measles. Okay, there are facts actually backing that up. The CDC really does show both sides of the argument. There's a lot, there's a lot of information to be had on both sides, which is why I'm going to wait until I read all of that information uh, before I actually give my full analysis and full take on it. But we can, one, unite behind liberty. We can, two, also agree that there is information on both sides. And three, what I also want to say is that everyone needs to needs to take a deep breath and a giant chill pill on all of this. Anti-vaxxers, um, you guys get er, the vaccine hesitant, which I think is a, a completely legit, legitimate stance to have, by the way. Um, a, a lot of you guys get extremely defensive about being criticized or about being called out or about being questioned at all. And you say, well, I don't want to be seen as crazy. I get that. I would say stop acting crazy. Stop acting crazy. Some of you guys in my messages about this anti-vaccine stuff, guys, you got to take a chill pill. Like you cannot condemn me not being a good enough Christian or not being tr truly pro-life because I haven't I haven't fully given my full take and full support of the anti-vax movement yet. Like you got to take a chill pill and recognize that there are legitimate facts and legitimate support for both sides of the argument. And I want to give both sides a fair hearing. Now, for those of you who are anti-vax or vax hesitant, which I totally understand, like I said, who have sent me resources, who have sent me links, who have talked to me about the other side, I so appreciate you and I respect your position and think that we can have a wonderful debate and discussion about it. But I don't need my pro-life or faith credentials questioned because I haven't fully agreed with you on this subject. And so if we are going to have a productive dialogue about vaccines, which I think would be extremely helpful, extremely, extremely productive, we've all got to calm down just a little bit, okay? We've all got to calm down. We can't attack the character of the other side just because they disagree with us, because you are not the only one with an opinion, okay? I got too many people saying, well, I heard this on holistics.com, and therefore it's absolute truth. Maybe not, maybe not. And some of you also saying, well, I really hope you do your research before you do a whole podcast on this. Well, yeah, what do you think I'm gonna do? Do my research after I do my podcast? Of course I'm going to, of course I'm going to. But I just want to preface it with all of that, that I respect 
all of the positions. I respect your liberty. I respect your choice. And I respect the fact that there are facts on both sides that need to be reckoned with, that need to be talked about. Okay. And we have to also make sure that our sourcing is correct and has integrity uh, before we dive into this conversation. And so I am going to probably do a podcast on it. I'm also going to probably invite experts on the podcast from both sides to talk about it. I think there's a lot of nuance in this conversation that needs to be had, and we all probably need to take a step back and look at this logically. So I just wanted to address that because I probably get a message every single day about vaccines, and I just wanted you to know that I hear you. Even though I don't always respond, I hear you, and we are going to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it in a balanced way, okay? Okay. I love you guys. We're going to be back here on Thursday. We're going to talk about the Methodist Church. We're going to talk about a particular Instagram post, and we're going to analyze all of that, and I will see you then. 